Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Mike Show, Adam Krautwurst, Thursday night, time for Dynasty Deep End or Deep End Dynasty, however you would prefer to say it. Last year we did weekly shows focused mostly on the high-stakes world. This this year we're adding a Thursday show. Did I say – did I mess that up? Last year <laughs> we did weekly shows Tuesday nights. Adam just told me, he's like, you're always a professional. You're always ready. And here I am. So like, professional. Stoned blank in about five seconds. <laughs> Thursday night, Dynasty this year. It's kind of new. This is our third or fourth. Scott Connor will join us. We'll talk. Uh, so many recent developments in the NFL. We'll break those down and some Dynasty strategy as well. This is The Deep End. Thanks for watching. Adam, I think tonight is a first for us. This is season three of us. And I'm remembering when the Red Sox were playing in the playoffs or whatever that was against the Yankees. One game playoff last year. Yes, sir. One game playoff. And you had it on like over the over the screen or something. So you were following that as we were talking. Yeah. I don't know if you bet basketball, but I don't think I can take it like it. I, I feel like I've reached my limit when it comes to betting because if you bet basketball, it's two hours and almost everything that happens is bad. Any <laughs> points for the other team, any turnover, you know, teams miss most of their shots anyway. Like there's so, why are we taking so long? The timeouts is almost, it's, it's too one-sided of a ratio toward the negative, but I'm in a pool where I need Villanova to win and they're at halftime and it's close, and man, like whether you you have a favorite or no matter which side you're on, a total or anything at halftime, of it's just excruciating. Listen, baseball is even harder because, um, when you like if you're rooting for a team and they're on defense, nothing good can happen at all. Like at least in basketball, you can get a turnover and score. Football, you can get a pick six or a turnover. Baseball, you're just waiting for the other team to score when they're right. Running. But but. The odds are with you that they won't. That is like true. Start an inning, you know, you know, a strike, an out. Those are pretty basic. Like you, you know, you're not in that bad of shape, you know. Usually, I don't know. Maybe it's just that I'm tense about this game. I, I feel like just it's just I can't take it. The only way I'm going to be able to bet basketball post turning fifty is to not watch, and I've never done that. I've never like bet on a thing or a pool or whatever fantasy. You know, fantasy. What do you do on Sundays? You're different than me. On Sundays, I have my scores open constantly. Uh, yeah, no, not not me, um, not me at all. And we'll, we'll ask we'll ask Scott when he gets on here how he how how he does that. Um, and you remember, you remember speaking of that, speaking of baseball and the betting. Do you remember uh, we went to that Red Sox game in uh, in Buffalo last year, and the Red Sox lead off the game with a double, and I'm going nuts. And like, relax, relax. It's the first batter, and then the Red Sox scored 16 runs or something. <laughs> Yeah, it was like eight nothing in the first. That's right. That's Something right. like that. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, you're going to be wrong sometimes. <laughs> All right, Scott Connor is with us tonight. Scott, with his partner Jay, were some of our first guests on the Draft Sharks Invitational podcast a couple of years ago, and we both listened to Scott and then also met him in Las Vegas, not the Expo, I think, but in Las Vegas for the FFPC drafts. So this is like catching up, and it's it's really cool to be back with you, Scott. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, guys. Glad to be here uh, talking some Dynasty. But, yeah, I think the first time we really interacted was uh, talking Draft Sharks Invitational a couple of years ago and then uh, met in Vegas last year for main events. So uh, crossing a different circle tonight. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, thanks so much for coming out, Scott. I know I, I remember saying this, uh, you know, you were the part of the um, – chasing the helmet podcast. And that was something that uh, listening to you and Jay Reed, that was something that got me, I, I, I wanted to do a podcast and I listened to you guys. I'm like, that sounds like an absolute blast. And that's kind of when I decided to do it. 
Um, and so, uh, thanks for kind of lead, leading me out in that, in that direction. Um, You're and, pioneer. Uh, yeah, was, sorry, Mike, what was that? No, Scott is a pioneer. He's a pioneer. He's a pioneer for us high stakes fantasy guys. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I wanted to talk to you. I know we were going to talk Tyra kill first, but I figured, uh, I wanted to ask you something else first. Um, portfolio dynasty. We've talked about dynasty in the past and there's so many different aspects to it. Like, like Mike said, it's kind of the true deep end of fantasy football. Um, so there's, there's different types of dynasty players and you got the guys who, who are really into the rookies and they're, and they're breaking those rookies down. And, and then there's guys that really into the kind of the values of the picks and all that type stuff. But I know you're a, you're a portfolio dynasty player. Can you kind of break that down to um, Mike and I, and maybe whoever else is listening on what a, what a, what a portfolio dynasty player is. Yeah. Good question. It's one of those things that is basically exactly what it sounds like. Uh, I treat dynasty truly like a stock portfolio. I don't have a finance background. I have an accounting background, uh, but more importantly, uh, I have a legal and litigation background and a negotiation background. And so it, a lot of what I do is just pure game theory. So that's kind of how I live my life in all aspects. So it was natural when I started playing fantasy football. I mean, we do it in high stakes to a degree too. You know, if you're playing in 40, 50 high stakes leagues, you really should kind of treat it like a portfolio. You're going to have your biases. You're going to have certain things that you don't like, but in general, you do probably want to spread out your risk a little bit, especially at some really high leverage spots and at certain places. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit as well when we talk to dynasty wise, but I mean, it's really, it, it's just taking the game of dynasty. It's just game theory. It's trying to outsmart other people. It's trying to out negotiate other people, but it's really pulling back from the football sense and just looking at things just from a pure market value perspective. All my decisions are dynasty are based on my portfolio. When I really have to zoom in and make micro decisions. So we're talking about like, Hey Scott, you got to pick player A or player B. You're on the clock. You have to pick between the two. That's what I'm going to zoom in and ask people that watch film or really crunch data that can really tell me like this player versus that player. Like I rely on other people to do that. That's not my forte. Uh, I'm looking at, I'm zooming out. I'm looking at tiers. I'm looking at market inefficiencies and all my decisions, all the ways that I build my teams are based on that. So we'll probably talk a little bit more about this. We're at a fascinating point right now in Dynasty 2 because we have a rookie class coming up in 2023 that you can literally argue you have never seen more valuable picks to the point where a, a random first round pick in dynasty next year is worth almost the same as like a top three or four pick this year. Wow. And that's where the market is. So, I mean, we're talking super flex cause there's quarterbacks in there too, but we, I've never seen a market discrepancy like that. Normally it's, Hey, you got to pay a little bit of a tax. If you got to push your pick out a year, no, not now. Uh, so let's maybe talk about that. But yeah, it's just, it's zooming out. I'm player agnostic in Dynasty. I'm looking at my portfolio shares. I'm looking at certain places within the positional landscape and the player pool and going, I have too much risk here. I don't have enough risk here. I have too much investment here. I don't have enough here. And that, that's where all of my advice comes from. I think you're going to say that, you know, when you mean, when you say everything, you mean everything. The, the basic point I think you're making is when it comes to players yes picks too but you're talking about not having too much player a and too little of player b but is it also builds is it also does it does it extend to that absolutely 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 it is it is looking at the current landscape and this applies to this is where the the high stakes redraft stuff does come into play too because you get a pulse every year of what the mainstream feel is on the player pool, right? You get that from playing redraft. You know, like, is is it going to be a heavy zero RB year like we're going to see this year in redraft? And that's trans- translated over into Dynasty. Then you look at, okay, well, Dynasty is not just one year, but it's going to bring some biases into how people are going to view the next two or three years. So everything to me is about roster construction, roster build, and then what? One thing I like to talk about my my Twitter handle is hashtag Dynasty Leverage, and people ask me all the time, "What does that mean?" That is trying to find flat spots in the player pool where I can accumulate assets and I don't lose any win rate. That's my goal. I want to go into it next year and go, you know what? Can I slim down 
some of the margins that I have down to the point where I'm not losing my chance of being one of the four or six teams that make the playoffs. I think you guys agree. It's a crapshoot when you get to the final four, right? I mean, you can have a bad week and you're out or you can have a, a six seed in a league and it goes all the way. It's a, it's a three week season at that point. So if you can get there, I want to accumulate as many assets at all times and not lose that margin to still make the top four, top six in my league. That's my goal. Interesting. Yeah, I love that. That's that. That's a nice. I like. It takes the pressure off when you have that macro view and you're always looking at uh, a big portfolio. It takes the pressure off having to be right about players all the time. Exactly. Because you're going to get a piece of everyone. You're going to get. You know, it's it's going to be very rare where you're completely fading and. And I, you know, I love following you on Twitter because I'm not uh, a, a portfolio dynasty player. I'm in probably five or six leagues, dynasty leagues. And just, uh, I like following guys like you who can kind of, you know, you put, you are the pulse for, for, for me to tell me, Hey, if you like this guy, go after him. Cause he's the cheapest now that he'll ever be or vice versa. Um, and so I find that super, super help, helpful. Well, yeah, and I'll I'll just add this because I get a lot of people, uh, we have a a really huge Patreon channel that is a lot of portfolio players. So that's one of the strengths of kind of what I'm about is I've surrounded myself with a lot of other people that are the same way. In our channel at any time, we have 50 people that are in 30, 40, 50 plus dynasty leagues. So if you can just take the brain power of those people and multiply that with the number of leagues they're in. So they're seeing trades and moves and strategies on a macro level when you combine all of us together. So the power of that, one of the advantages is we usually have a pulse on the way things are trending before it becomes mainstream. So then we're like, okay, we have a two-month period before this is going to happen where I'm going to go try to get ahead of it. And it's the same as you know trying to do anything before you have all the information. You're making a big bet. You know, I might say, hey, this is my macro bet that I'm going to make over the next six months. And I'm going to kind of guide my patrons or my followers that way. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But if I'm right, I'm going to gain a lot more because I'm ahead of the market. And you said you're in five or six leagues. I think even if you're only in five leagues, I think it's informative for you to know just kind of what the plus EV decision is, right, Adam? Like, You know what the good decision is, or you know what the better odds decision or the better odds bet to make. But someone asked me like, hey, should I make this trade? And my first question is, give me all the settings. Give me all the parameters. Are you, do you have a portfolio? What else are you considering outside? And they go, no, it's my home league, man. I'm in one league. It's my home league. I have to pick this or that. And so I'm kind of like, you know, the optimal decision or the plus EV decision is to do X. But if you told me, hey, my gut feel says I'm just going to go with Y because it's my one league and it's my one shot and that's what my gut feeling says, then do it. But at least you were informed with what the better odds decision was. And I think that's where I come from. Doesn't mean you got to follow it. I get a lot of people that are like, hey, I'm only in one league. I'm only in two leagues. Like I can't play the same way you are. That's fine. But as soon as you start learning to play this way, you're going to go, man, I'm at another league and another league and another league. It's like all of a sudden you're in 10, 15, then you can start playing that way. This reminds me of being on the air here in Buffalo on WGR and once in a while bringing up fantasy and someone calls in and says, would you trade DK Metcalf for, you know, Joe Mixon or something like that? And I will sit there and be as just lost, not lost, but just no idea what to say as in any situation, because I want to ask 30 other questions first. I want to know their rosters. I want to know scoring format. I want to know how many leagues. I want to know who are you dealing with? Is it someone you respect? Is it someone that you don't know? <laughs> Who is this email? Is this phone? Is this face-to-face? Are you sitting at a bar? I mean, literally, in negotiation and in what you're laying out, all of that and 50 other questions, if not 500, can be relevant. So I'd be like, I'd go to commercial in those situations, be like, can't do that anymore because I'm sitting here representing that I can tell you the difference between DK Metcalf and Joe Mixon, and here I am on the air being like, nope, I don't know what to tell you. I don't like being wrong, so I don't know what to tell you with any confidence. So I, I, I don't know which player is going to be better either. It's just a matter of what does the – see the whole board, Scott. You know, see the whole board and then make a decision. And there's no way one-on-one you're going to get enough information or, you know, probably to get that right. Well, and here's the thing. One thing about fantasy football that we don't appreciate and we don't measure, we can sit here – you and I and Adam can sit here and talk – 
strategy. We could talk stats. We could talk situations. We could literally go for days. Even if we covered everything that was in our minds, everything we all three of us knew about fantasy football, we're probably still missing like 80% of the the variables that there's no way we're ever going to know. We're not going to be able to measure. Uh, Someone told me this a couple years ago. They go, you know, ultimately we're playing a game that's dealing with human beings that have like real live emotions and feelings. And any given Sunday or Thursday or Saturday, like they could be having a bad day or they could just have personal issues that you don't know about that could affect their performance 20%. We're not measuring any of that. We're just kind of assuming everything is equal except for the numbers we see on the paper or the narratives that we see that are driven out there. And that's it. But yet there's so much variance we don't account for. I mean, it's like 70% of the stuff during the year. We have no idea how to even measure. So why pretend to think we have all the information? So if you just zoom out, I think you can then zoom back in at the right times and uh, have a better strategy doing it that way. You don't know if they're having a bad day or if they're having an injury that they might not have even have disclosed to their team or if Pete Carroll is their coach. There's so many things that can mess up a fantasy outlook. So let's take let's take this a little bit more in a granular sense. Take a, an example. Let's say yesterday, Tyree Kill was traded yesterday. I know it feels like longer ago. It wasn't. It was yesterday. Nobody woke up wondering whether Tyree Kill was going to be traded. It happened by lunch. So you hear that. If you're, you know, if you're at work or you're preoccupied, then you maybe can't do what you want to do. But I'm guessing, Scott, you get right to work. And what does that mean? What happens right after you hear about that trade? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I typically do on our Patreon channel is anytime something happens, I will take a break. I will record a 15 to 30 minute reaction podcast and I'll try to give actionable information about, okay, here's how I think the community is going to behave with this news. And sometimes I'm wrong. You know, sometimes it's the opposite, but at least I'm giving people an idea of here's what I think a big bet that you can make right now based on this information before everybody reacts, before you hear a week's worth of discussion and Twitter threads about what you should be doing. Let's get to it now. Let's try to be the first, you know, five to 10% to the market and see if we can gain an advantage. For this, you know, my first inclination, I've been real big over the last year in measuring. Uh, and this is just a hypothesis that I had, and I've had some people challenge me on it, which is fine. Uh, I think quarterback efficiency drives receiver production. I don't think it's the other way around. Receivers certainly help, but I kind of look at receivers right now in Dynasty as there's so many good ones. You need to have a prerequisite floor or prerequisite talent level to earn targets, to get playing time. But once you're there, it's the scheme and it's the quarterback efficiency that drives how good the receivers are, period. Like you've seen, I did, a tw- I did a thread last year and it looked at a bunch of efficiency numbers and receivers that just finished in the top 12. And you would be shocked over the last decade, the receivers that finished in the top 12, who their quarterbacks were. It's like clockwork, like 80% of them are top 10, top 12 efficiency quarterbacks. It doesn't matter almost to the point, like DJ Moore, if you look at his efficiency last year, he could have had 225 targets. He would not have finished as a top 12 receiver. <laughs> and that's and that's just based on what he was doing at his individual basis with his volume. Now, his quarterbacks were terrible. They've been historically terrible. But if you told me, hey, I'm going to give a guy 200 targets, you're going, oh, he's going to be a wide receiver one, right? Not necessarily. And there's a lot of other guys that can get there with 130 targets, 140 targets. You know, if your quarterback's... Joe Burrow, Aaron Rodgers, like, dude, every throw you're getting is worth 30, 40% better than league average. You just got to say over a long period of time, over a whole season, you're going to score more points per throw than Sam Darnold or Tua. You mentioned Tyreek Hill. Tua is not very good. Tua is not very good. At least through the first 28 games that he started, uh, he is in every efficiency measure that I measure. uh, Like I have eight different categories. He's below average. So part of that's the offensive line, you know, part of that's maybe the weapons, but we're talking about for him to produce, you know, Waddle and Tyreek were both valued as top eight, top 10 dynasty receivers before this trade. Yep. And now you're telling me that a guy that is at best a league average efficiency quarterback is going to produce two top 12 receivers like that. That doesn't happen. I would say the odds that he produces zero top 12 receivers is higher than he produces two easily. So immediately my reaction is, okay, this is a downgrade for Tyreek. This is a downgrade for Waddle. Now what do you do? 
How, how do you play that? So I think you can almost argue that Tyreek is now a guy that you can pivot off of to a lot more options. I think the flaw with a guy like Tyreek is people just do not adjust fast enough. They cannot get out of their head that he's Tyreek Hill, wide receiver two, wide receiver three. And it's like, really? He's down in a mix now with DJ Moore, Terry McLaurin, Deontay Johnson. He's just another really good receiver that has average quarterback efficiency. And there are a lot of those guys. There is. And you know what? Sometimes in Dynasty, you have to kind of take some a leap of faith that if you acquire one of those guys and they hit, you know, any of those guys would have gotten Deshaun Watson as their quarterback, that they jump right up into the mix of like top five or six. You know, if DK Metcalf were to get traded today to the Chiefs or Packers, he goes from like wide receiver eight to 10, slam dunk wide receiver three in Dynasty, just like that. It has nothing to do with his talent or anything. It's just the quarterback is going to elevate him. So I think the there's just a lot more pivots. I think I'm looking at Tyreek going, man, if I have too many shares of Tyreek, there's now a lot of other pivots that I should be aggressive going for because I think his value is going to kind of flatten back out into that tier of a lot more other receivers. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I, I love listening to this, to this talk. And I was talking to some people today about not even dynasty, but redraft, like, you know, Jalen Waddle last year finished, I think wide receiver 14 and he was being drafted. And we just did a Mike and I just did a draft this week with a bunch of sharks and he went in the second round. And I'm like, well, he's not, you know, he's being taken as like a top eight receiver. And then I'm, I'm seeing stuff on Twitter. Well, you know, the addition of Tyreek doesn't hurt Waddle. I'm like, of course it hurts Waddle. Like, Oh, what's going to open the field up for him, more for him? Well, maybe, but do you, you know, would you rather have 135 targets without Tyreek or a hundred and, five with Tyreek. I mean, it's, I, to me, it's simple. It's, it's about, it's, it's about volume. You know, Tyreek's going to have less, less volume. Waddle's going to have less, less volume. Uh, so I think you're right. It sounds like you're saying pivot from Tyreek uses his big name to try to get, uh, you know, someone in the same tier um, that maybe Tyreek Hill was in two days ago, or maybe just someone a little bit lower. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the other concerns with Miami is even if Tua gets better, okay, let's just say he becomes a Derek Carr level passer, right? Like right in the like league average for efficiency. One of my concerns is, you know, they signed Alec Ingold, who you may think, oh, Alec Ingold. Well, look how San Francisco used the fullback. Somehow, you know, let's say Tua ends up throwing the ball. Let's just give him 550 attempts. I think that might even be generous given how they're going to run their offense. But you're going to look up and you're going to go, well, why the hell do they give Alec Ingold 50 targets? Which doesn't seem like a big deal, but that's 50 away from Waddle Tyreek. Mike Gusecki is going to still probably get 80, 90 targets. They re-sign Durham Smythe, Adam Shaheen. They have a ton of other receivers. Chase Edmonds is going to take probably another 50, 60 targets. So I'm sitting here going like, okay, even if you give Tyreek and Waddle 140, 150 targets each, which I think is aggressive. Yeah, no. League average targets. So it's just the math does not line up. So I think that's the, like, if you could make a deal right now, I'll just give you an example in a super flex league. If you could get a 23 first plus a guy like, let's just say Hunter Renfro, maybe someone's out on him a little bit. Hunter Renfro is not going to outproduce Tyreek or Jalen Waddle, but I think there's going to be a tier range where it's like Hunter Renfro could give you 85% of what those guys do. The real, the real asset you got there is the 23 first. The 23 first is I may be able to take a re-roll at an elite player next year in an elite situation. That, that's where the, the, the major profit comes in the deal. It's this, you know, I don't think Tyreek and Jalen Waddle are in a difference-making range now. They are just in a common range where there's 25, 30 guys that could finish within the same 15 spots as those guys. That's what I'm willing to trade out because it's a flat tier. So we're really talking mostly, and it's. I'm also very interested in how to play the game more than we are players or events. And so you have Tyreek Hill. Scott, how do you feel about this? The guy who maybe has, for the most part, your view on him and what his trade to Miami means, does he run to the computer and start making offers, or does he sit back? I mean, there are some guys – I have a friend who asked me today about Miles Sanders, and I'm like, Joe – Sneaky Joe Adam, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like what. What can you do now if he's got a hundred leagues and he has seventeen Miles Sanders teams and he has all this other 
computation go about it, then that's, you know, more of a different, like you've already talked about how to handle that. If you've got Miles Sanders, I'm like, what do you, what do you, what do you expect? I mean, you're going to trade him for something better. No, nobody's asking for him right now. CEH is kind of this player too. You know, like nobody's asking for them. So you kind of have to sit there. So if you have Tyree kill on one or 10 teams, Scott, like, do you just kind of take it and listen? You've got your opinion. You know what your portfolio looks like. Maybe there's somebody you know from experience is particularly aggressive or that likes Tyree Kill, and you can act on that. Overall, though, I feel like maybe the move is to kind of be patient. Yeah, for me, you know, my the Tyree Kill teams that I have, I'm certainly not in a rush to trade him away. But before he was attached to, you know, a top three quarterback, he was in a situation where he is one of the cornerstone assets that is giving you potentially difference making production not only is he a hot was did has he turned into a high volume receiver but he's a guy that can literally win you a week individually so he had a value where it was a premium i think the the market gap is that a simple trade to miami there's a lot of information that you would say it's a very good bet that he, he dropped at least a tier or two immediately forget about his age forget about any of that you know that we're just talking about like a really short term outlook he dropped a tier or two overnight. As soon as that trade was made, he dropped. So the move now becomes, are there any people out there that are still going, oh, you know what? I'm going to buy Tyreek Lowe. You know, now I'm willing to buy him because I didn't want to pay the two plus first round costs that it cost before he got traded. Now I want to buy him. I think he's really good. I believe in Tua. That's the person I'm looking for to sell to. So I'm going to go in the six or seven leagues I have Tyreek and I go, hey, you know what? I'll shop him in all seven. Three or four, there's going to be nobody that's interested. I'm going to hold him in those leagues. The two or three where maybe there's some traction, that's where I'm looking for that pivot deal. And that deal is, you know what? I'm now taking a bet that his value is down in this really common wide receiver two, wide receiver three range. And if I can get one of those pivot trades before the market's reacted, that's where I'll sell. So that's what this move is specifically. Now, if you're talking different tiers, there's probably a little bit of a different you know, piece of actionable advice. But when you're talking a guy that goes from like an elite producer down to, I don't even want to say common because he's still like a top 15 receiver. You know what I mean? He's not bad. He's just not, there's a lot of other guys that could do what he's going to do in my opinion. So he's not a scarce asset like he was before. So I think you have more traction there, but you want to buy before the market corrects. In two months, the market's going to correct. This is going to be his market price. I want to try to get ahead of it. I want to try to get that first Plus, give me a guy that's 80% of Tyreek. That's the kind of deal I'm looking for. And I'll just kind of take the 20% loss there and bank that I'm going to have that chip with that extra first. Maybe that's going to buy me more during the season. Yeah, this is so this is so great. And speaking of extra first, like, uh, you know, even taking a mo- more of a macro look at Tyreek, like, I don't even think they made, and the fun thing about dynasties, you get to look at stuff like this. I don't even think they made this trade for this year. I think they saw that Tyreek Hill was available. They have two firsts next year. I mean, Tua might not be there. They have put themselves in a position. They've got Tyreek Hill locked up. They've got Jalen Waddle locked up. They have a great offensive line. And now they're in a position next year to trade up and get it, like you said, 2023. Maybe there's a couple stud quarterbacks. Uh, You saw the movement with veteran quarterbacks this year. Now they've got first-round picks galore to go get a veteran quarterback that doesn't like his situation or that's that's on the trade block for whatever reason. And then Tyreek Hill it goes back up into that, into that top tier again, kind of going to what Mike was saying about um, if you have to be patient, it's okay to be, to be patient. Cause I don't think my, the end game for Miami is Tua. I think this gives them the opportunity to absolutely see if Tua has it, which I don't think he does. And it gives them, and they still, they had all these picks to burn, right? Like we don't need, like, we're never going to draft a Tyreek Hill. Let's go trade for him. Next year, we still have two firsts, and we can trade for our quarterback. And I think they're in a great position for 2023, where if you do get stuck, or if you do end up buying Tyreek this year cheaply, um, you know, there's something to look to, to look forward to. Right. Well, Scott, it's been half an hour, and I, I apart from the five minutes where we wasted your time so I could talk about my Villanova bet, uh, <laughs> we really talked about a lot of strategy here, and Tyreek Hill is – at the at the core one question i have for dynasty and this is where i struggle is in super flex leagues and i'm thinking also about startup drafts how valuable quarterbacks are so i got to a point maybe 
last year where I felt like I just have no choice but to pound quarterback early and, you know, figure out the rest. Do you have a general strategy or advice when it comes to that? Like how quarter, how important quarterbacks are to a dynasty super flex startup? Yeah. I mean, you and I did a startup draft. Uh, we just completed it about a month ago. Right. And um, right. So I think the first answer to that question is it depends. Like always, there's always more questions. There's always more things you need to know. Uh, when you're talking 14-team leagues, 16-team leagues, start two, true start two quarterback leagues, quarterbacks are a commodity that you probably want to ear on. I just want to collect them. You know, that's where I want to just draft them if they're available. I want to hoard them. 12-team leagues, which is what a lot of people play in, 12-team super flex leagues, that's what a lot of the stock leagues are. That's what a lot of the major big site leagues, even their dynasty leagues, are 12-team super flex leagues. Then you can get into the scoring. I mean, you guys were in the Scott Fishbowl. You remember the Scott Fishbowl scoring? A lot of dynasty leagues don't have scoring that extreme, but if you're just talking about standard fantasy, like we see in FFPC, the last two years, there's been a major gap between like the top 12 to 14 quarterbacks and everybody else. So you got to know your scoring. But if I'm just talking a 12-team, pretty stock scoring league, my strategy is aggressively, I'm moving up. In a startup, I will give up my second and third round pick to get another top eight quarterback. I just am in a startup right now. Uh, it's a 14-team league, so more scarcity, right? Like there's just less quarterbacks to go around. Uh, I took Josh Allen at 101. You guys will like that. Uh, traded back in. First five picks were quarterbacks. I traded back in, took Joe Burrow at 106. Traded my second, third, and fourth round startup pick to get that 106, and I still got a couple picks back. I got like an extra eighth and a ninth round pick back. In the startup so, draft. In the startup draft. And people go, oh, you overpaid. And I go, you know, yeah, I've done so many of these. That second and third and fourth round pick, it was a third round reversal. So I was the 101. So I trade away the 214, the 314, and the 401. When you get to that th that 314 in the 401, that's just a dead zone. People are picking old running backs. People are picking wide receiver twos. They're picking the tight end eight through the tight end 10. Like those are great players to have. They're not difference makers. So I built my team around Burrow and Josh Allen. Now, if that's a 12-team league and I've just happened to build a team where I have three or four quarterbacks, my strategy is I'm not trading away the elite quarterbacks. But I'll just blindly go trade my QB3, QB4. I'll just trade him for a first. I don't need a quarterback back. If I have Derek Carr, I means he's my QB4. I'll, I'll trade him for a first, a 2023 first. Because mm -hmm. I don't think those are difference makers. You know, that I don't want to pay for quarterback production when it's a placeholder. In a 12-team league, the scarcity isn't enough. I can, if you look at last year, if you just take Trevor Simeon and Colt McCoy's numbers, they outscored like 12 starters. <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, you only got nine games out of them probably. And to play that way, you probably have to grind your waiver wire. Every time there's an injury, you got to be the guy that's picking them up or you got to be picking up the backup quarterbacks before games each week. But if you do that, you outproduced Jared Goff every time you played one of those backups. <laughs> so why, Jared Goff has no value to me. So if someone else is going to go, oh, man, he's a starter. I need a starter. I'll give you a second and a third. Done. Don't care what my team looks like. If my two elite quarterbacks get hurt, I'm probably cooked anyway. So just to carry extra ones, like I might want to have a third, maybe like a Cousins or Derek Carr, just to kind of supplement some injuries or bye weeks. Bye weeks, right. But I'm going to deal from my excess because I don't think the QB2s in a 12-team league are difference makers at all. And the scoring backs that up. I mean, go look at the scoring of the QB22 in a standard league last year. It's replaceable. Literally, the backup that's starting on the waiver wire is going to outscore that guy half the time. So when you're paying for those, and we've seen this in the NFL too, right? Like you mentioned Tua. I think one of the most brilliant moves about the Browns getting Deshaun Watson was, sure, we can talk about all the other stuff that comes with Deshaun Watson, but here's what they did that was brilliant. They gave him a suicide contract, but they just planted the seed for the Ravens, the Chargers, the Bengals. Any team is going to have to pay their quarterback in the next year they go, okay, we may lose with Deshaun, maybe not playing in 2022, but in 2023 and beyond, you guys are on even ground with us. And that's like a sneaky thing about the move that they made. And that's why they went and got the elite quarterback. Cause you're going to have these other teams. You mentioned Miami. I mean, 
if Tua fails, that the way to go about it would probably be like, okay, is Kyler Murray available next offseason? Can they trade for him? <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Brought, like, you brought up the possibility that Kyler Murray could be available today. I mentioned I did. on my show today that Carolina makes sense with Kingsbury. There's baggage, but Arizona, I was I thought that was really good. And by the way, I mean, I, I Adam, I don't know if you're thinking what I'm thinking, which is that maybe Scott could host a podcast someday. I mean, he's obviously very adept with the language. He's got strong opinions. He's got but it. He almost, he almost won the Scott Fishbowl. Scott, you came very close to winning the Scott Fishbowl. Very nice. Yeah, I wouldn't say very close, but I finished. Uh, I was, I was very, I had a very good team, but it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's a hard. If you win the Scott Fishbowl, I got to give you props because it's, you get down to those last two weeks, and it's like you got to be one out of ten, one out of twenty in your division right. to advance. I mean, it's. Well, you do I remember this wrong? I mean, you made the the final week. I made. I finished second in my division and didn't make the final twenty, but I believe I was one of the top twenty scorers. But it's it's based on your division, so. If you're in a division where, you know, yeah. the, the leader of your division is 50 points better than one of the other finalists, if it would have been pure points, I would have made it, but I finished second. So I, I guess you could say I made the semis. I, I think I did a, the same. I might be one week off, but I finished second, like 217 or something, got to the finals, and I had 209 or some score like that. But it was close. And we're working on Scott to have – he brought up the idea of having live drafts in, in cities today, and we're working on getting him here in Buffalo. Um, Adam, a final thought, dynasty topic or question? What's on your mind? Um, can I ask a, a specific trade question? I got a trade this afternoon, okay? Uh, and I want to pick your, your, your guys' brain. Let me see if I can uh, if I can pull it up real quick. If, if I can't, I'll just tell you what it is. But it's uh, FFPC. I don't need to explain what that is to you guys. But FFPC, um, it is a best ball. Here we go. So it's a best ball league, uh, d- dynasty league. And here's my roster. Uh, my top running backs are Christian McCaffrey, Nick Chubb, um, and David Montgomery. I have the 102 this year and the 202. And my top receivers are T. Higgins, and that's it. My receivers aren't very good. Tyler Boyd, Will Fuller. Don't, don't sleep on Nico Collins. That's right. Me. Don't sleep on Nico. So I got offered um, A.J. Brown for Nick Chubb and my 202. What are your initial thoughts and then i'll tell you what my thought is scott one qb or two qb or super flex one qb one qb okay and i'm not well, a portfolio player six teams that's it well my first thought when it comes to ffpc is running backs are king uh i've always played ffpc dynasty i do not want to draft wide receivers and maybe that's just seeing the amount of receivers that you can hit on to at least give you baseline average production throughout the season, especially when you cut down. I mean, you're going to see a lot of receivers that you look at and you go, you can squint and say, Hey, that guy could be a wide receiver three, you know, and and they're on the waiver wire. They're available in the draft for nothing. Uh, Running backs, a different story. I mean, you can roster a bunch of backups and you can try to get by, but my experience in FFPC, you know, you get into these drafts and I'm not sure you're going to be able to get Brees Hall at the 102. I know. Probably not. I know. But if there's a chance that you could, then I wouldn't give that up. Um, even if I was trying to buy a receiver, I would never give up my 102. The 202 for Nick Chubb, I'd still lean Nick Chubb over A.J. Brown, even with, you know, the, the quote unquote longevity with A.J. Brown, just because I think he's more in that you know, low end wide receiver one, mid wide receiver two range. Like, I don't think he's a true difference maker. So I'd still lean with the running back, especially knowing you have that 102 and you may be on the clock with probably Kenneth Walker would be the 102 in an FFPC draft just because running backs are king. Uh, Dan, I would probably be looking to trade from your surplus from running backs if you wanted to buy a receiver. I would not pull the trigger right now, though. I would kind of sit and keep Nick Chubb. Okay, Michael. Well, Scott said it all when it came to strategy. What I wouldn't do if somebody offered you that, because you have what looked like a, at least a fairly strong roster, is just say yes. I mean, if somebody comes to you with the idea, they're, they're, they're probably not giving you their best offer, and they want, in this case, Nick Chubb, and they want that from you. So I would say if you like it, just don't say yes, but tweak it a little bit so it's a little bit more favorable for you. And I would beware of the third round pick 
and we've talked about this before, in offers. If it's one player, one player, and somebody throws in a third-round pick, to me, that is a red flag because they know their deal is weak. They know their offer is weak. The third-round pick is not going to have any meaning to anybody ever. So, you know, maybe 2023 notwithstanding, Scott, but just I mean, the, the third-round pick is a sign. I don't like this deal, but maybe you will. So I would stay away from that. So full disclosure, he made me this offer. I countered with the third round pick. <laughs> you wanted him to throw in a third with AJ Brown. No, it was yeah, it was gonna be it was gonna be Chubb in a third. Uh yeah, Chubb in a third for AJ Brown. And then he recountered with the original offer, Chubb in a second. So Ooh, he um, sent you back the original offer after yes. you countered. Yes, that's a, that's a power move. That's, that's a, a I'm not moving. Move. I'm not moving. That is, uh, <laughs> hey, we're in a, we're in a back and forth negotiation, and my demand is not coming down. So that's, that's right. um, that's why I thought I'd bring it to 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 you guys, and you guys say 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 no. So I think I'm gonna, uh, I think I'm gonna pass, and maybe I can get something a little, a little bit better for my guy Nick. Chubb. What? Where does he pick in the? First, does he have a first round pick? He does. Yeah. What is it? Ooh, that's a great question. Now we're getting deep. And I While you look that up, it's a power move or it's a jerk move because he's already offered you that. So if he comes <laughs> back, he's just like, I, it's true. You know, it is written. I've already told you. Well, why do I need to see this again? Like that relationships are key, I think, Scott. I mean, in a hundred leagues with 1,200 people or whatever, and most of them are different. I don't know. This one you and I play in, I don't know who I'm dealing with usually. And that's unsettling to me. Like I, I want to know what your style is, who's your type, and then be able to work and then offer you something fair. And if it's, you know, these cold calls, I'm not as comfortable with. So he's got the one, the, the 108. I mean, we don't have to spend all day here, but we can if we want to. Uh, well, yeah, Villanova's so- up seven, so you can you can go a little <laughs> bit slow. Nine. So, so and I, I, I find this stuff so interesting. This is dynasty stuff. So he has all his original picks. He's never made a trade of any of his draft picks ever in the history of, of him ever playing dynasty. And uh, what's that? That's a sign too. That's a, that's that's right. something too. And that's right. So, uh, so yeah, so he, he recountered with the, with the same thing. Um, he's got Lockett, Hopkins, Allen Robinson, AJ Brown, Debo. I mean, he's lower than a receiver. He doesn't, he doesn't need AJ Brown. No, so. but he, he needs to make a trade with somebody. For whether I mean Nick Chubb, that's a great day for him if with all those receivers. So yep. you know, I, I'm yeah. sort of now sort of with Scott, which is considering see the whole board, right? There's always all these questions. Now I'm I'm not as eager to make this trade as I might have been just on the surface. Well, I wonder okay. if you can. I wonder if you can. I don't want to trade away Nick Chubb, but if you're going to, you have that 102. If you're able to hold on to that, you're probably going to get. You know, A, that gives you a shot. You could maybe – I'd try to get the 101 with the 102 if I could. I think yeah. Brees Hall – like right now, I would put Brees Hall as a – if we're talking dynasty rankings, I'd put him at RB2 or 3 in dynasty. Wow. He, he's ahead of Najee Harris already because he's a better athlete. I'm just going to bank on the talent, just bank on the insulation that he's going to get. But he's that high. He's easily top five for me. So that's a big gap. If you can get one of those guys in a rookie draft – that's a home run. You know what I mean? 102. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably going to get a, a, a second round pick with Kenneth Walker, which is good. Uh, but I look at a counter offer. Maybe if you really want to try to negotiate with this guy, I'd be looking at maybe AJ Brown and Deandre Hopkins coming your way and you have back Chubb and a later pick. You got the Kyler with Hopkins stack. I don't love it, but I'd rather do that than just a one for one. That's that's where you're getting some leverage and you're forming out your roster construction a little bit better. You're assuming 102 is going to be a running back most likely. Like you, yeah. I don't love picking rookie receivers in FFPC because it's so shallow. If they miss, it's a big miss. Like you know, if you drafted Terrace Marshall with a late first last year, you've already cut him. Like that's how fast it goes away. Yeah. Running back willing to more hold for a little longer because it's like even if they don't start, they're still next man up on a depth chart. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. I'd counter with a deal like that and see if he's really, you know, really adamant that it has to be straight up. But I think that that's where I'd counter if I'm going to send him a counter offer. I would not accept the one for one because I'd much rather have the running back. We got it. Wow. I'm yeah, I think I'm going to try to get up to the 101 because I think you're like, I want to have Brees Hall. I want to have Brees Hall if I'm going to trade away Chubb. So 
Uh, if I can get to the 101, then, then maybe I circle back to the Chubb, A.J. Brown stuff. But um, do, do you have any 101, Scott, in any league? Like, what, do you, what, what, are, you, what are you asking for, for for the 101 right now? So if I'm talking, I most I play in all super flex. So that's okay. usually where my scope is. But I don't think it really changes much this year. I think it's going to be, you know, the buzz we're hearing on Malik Willis. If he ends up going in the top four or five of the rookie of the NFL draft, I mean, hell, he could go 101 if a team really wants him and they trade up. But I think you have Malik Willis and Brees Hall. It's a clear 101, 102. Then it's all going to be landing spots, draft capital, all this other stuff. You know, do I trust the the weaker quarterback class, some of these landing spots. Like I'm not really excited if a quarterback goes to Carolina or Seattle, you know what I mean? Like I just not, I don't love those organizations per se. Uh, so I think 101 and 102, that's the golden spot. All my 103s and 104s, I'm trying to hide players in deals to move up one spot. Uh, but I'm fine with either Brees or Malik Willis. I think those are the two players where you can say, yeah, they're not Trevor Lawrence, Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase. But I think like class to class, you can probably stack those two up and put them pretty comparable to most classes. Then it falls off. That's where I think this 22 class is a little weak. But yeah, 101, 102, it's whatever you'd pay in in the past. I don't think there's any discount because the class is perceived to be weak. I think those two guys are going to immediately be studs. Wish we had more time. Adam and I have been talking a few different times about how the value of these players changes by the NFL draft or with the NFL draft taking place and then I've used the CEH example from two years ago where now he's like running back six from that class and he wasn't one before the Chiefs drafted them and it seemed like the perfect team and everything. So Hall, I feel like what you're implying here with all this is, tell me if I'm wrong, he could get drafted into the less than seemingly perfect situation, but he's still the player he is and use Jonathan Taylor as an example of why you should trust that. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at the – historical comps for his profile. I'm assuming he's going to get the draft capital. When I say draft capital, I'm assuming he's going to get early second round, mid second round at worst draft capital, maybe late first. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if a team took him in the late first. The example you gave though, with draft capital mattering is we've seen this three straight years, 2019, we saw people take Daryl Henderson because he landed with the Rams, right? Gurley was going to be gone. He's going to take over. He was a third round pick. People took him over Marquise Brown, who was a first-round receiver. The next year, people took Keyshawn Vaughn, right? He was going to take over in Tampa. He was a third-round pick. People took him over Brandon Ayuk, who was a first-round receiver. Right. Last year. Even Jefferson. Yeah. Last year, people took Trey Sermon, right? Landed in San Francisco, third-round pick. People took Trey Sermon over Kadarius Toney, who was a first-round receiver. And guess what we're going to probably have happen this year? We're going to see a Isaiah Spiller go in the third round. And there's going to be probably seven receivers that go in the first round of the NFL draft. And people are going to go, eh, Jahan Dotson. I don't really like him. I don't think he was that great. But I need a running back. So give me Isaiah Spiller. And just just kind of a – that's a bad bet historically to take a third-round running back over a first-round receiver from a value perspective. Now, Spiller is not Keyshawn Vaughn or Trey Sermon, but process-wise, you know, are we going to make that mistake again? I think, Mike, you just said it. People are going to chase running backs. I mean, would you be shocked if if people are going after the third-round running backs this year? Because they're just like, I don't need a receiver. I have a lot of receivers, right? I have have Christian Kirk on my bench. I have Tyler Boyd. Why am I going to take Jahan Dotson? I I need a running back, kind of like that roster you were trading with, Adam. That That guy'd take a running back. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Scott, what a great night it's been catching back up with you. We'll see you this summer again. Oh, yeah. I plan. um, We got a full slate of uh, this is my dynasty time. You know, I have all the dynasty content now with free agency and the trades and, uh, you know, NFL draft and rookie drafts. And then dynasty is pretty much wrapped up by like early June. All the drafts are done by then. And then it's uh, football guys, Kentucky. You know, we have a slate of probably 40, 50 high stakes leagues that we're going to wrap, you know, knock out between now and uh, Vegas. And then we'll be in Vegas again with a full slate. Are you guys doing the bare knuckle this year? Oh, Mike's Mike's addicted now. He's you doing it, Mike. I mean, look, I I had I had backers last year and we didn't (laughs) win. So I'm not assuming anything, but I would love to do it again. 
I, I did it in 2019 uh, with Jay and it was our first time doing it. It was my first time in Vegas. And he's like, yeah, there's this, there's this, this draft that's after the NFL draft or after the, the opening night and you can't have any notes. And I'm like, dude, that fits my mind perfectly. And then I think I underestimated, you know, just how hard it was if you didn't have a plan. Uh, <laughs> and then also, you know, the only way Jay would do it would be like, he took the first half. So I kind of had to adapt to the roster construction that he built. Cause he kind of just took the best value that he could. Uh, but I want to do it again. I'm going to do a solo this year um, with Jay's blessing, but I'm going to do it again. So I, that's why I asked if you're going to do it. Cause I'd love to face off. Well, what, what happened was Adam sort of offered it. <laughs> How much do you want to say? I mean, I, I, I was offered a, a chance to draft with you yeah. in the bare knuckle. And then we signed up was May or June. Like, Oh, this is going to be amazing hard, but I also feel like I'm sort of right for it. And then with a week to go before the, the game and the draft, Adam was like, I don't, I only want to do a few rounds. I don't need to do uh, half of it. Like, that's fine. And then we're in the ballroom for Dallas Tampa. <laughs> we're talking about it. I'm walking around trying to memorize Carolina's kicker. And he's like, you know what? You do the whole thing. The whole thing. So I ended up dra- maybe one other person did the whole thing. That's how I, I, I did the whole thing. I think it finished fifth, which man, Scott, I mean, we had, Daniel Jones, Barkley, and Engram. We could not get one good week out of the Giants. My quarterbacks, our quarterbacks, Jones, Lawrence, and Darnold, and it just flopped. And, you know, a Debo team with Fournette and just like it could have been, it could have been really just mint, but. So if you had a one different quarterback, you probably have a shot to yeah. take it down. Yeah. But that's, that's on me. I waited and I was, I took a spot at the end of the line and, Decided I could get three or even four sort of going, waiting the night out. But they went a little earlier than I thought. Um, and so fifth place. But I loved it. I loved the night. You really couldn't enjoy the game. Yeah. That Speaking of that, this year, if, if it's if it's Bills-Rams on Thursday night, I might not even be in Nevada. You're I might be LA. in California. So. Yeah. Uh, for that for that draft. But um, I don't think it will be, and it's just a guess. But the Rams host Denver – and the Raiders, and Dallas, and the Bills, and even San Francisco. I mean, the Bills, it feels like too big of a game, but I don't know. Scott, are you doing the, the Expo? I'll be there. Uh, I mean, I live in Columbus, so I'm literally right. less than two hours away from Canton. So I'll be there. I went the first year they had it, uh, and then obviously it was canceled after COVID in 2020, and then 2021 I couldn't make it. So I'll be back there this year, and apparently from what people have told me, it's – I mean, 10 times bigger than it was when I first went, the first one. So I'm excited. Yeah, I'll be there. I don't have anything planned, like, content-wise. I'm just going to go and hang out and meet people. But, yeah, I'll be there at least uh, Sunday afternoon. I may stay overnight Saturday night. Good. Good. We'll be there, too. Scott, thanks a lot for this time tonight. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. All right. Adam. Scott. Adam and I will be back on uh, on Tuesday. Deep end, right? That's the plan? Yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. Actually, continue next week with more shows. Oh, yeah. Every week. Every week. Every week. (laughs) Okay. Villanova up nine. That looks good. Thanks for uh, hanging out with us tonight. Good luck. uh, Tweet us your questions at DeepEndFF1, at Shope Talk, at Adam Krautwurst. We'll see you next week, Tuesday. See you guys.